Hello and welcome to my latest podcast. It's good to have your company. Today I'm going to be talking about a subject that is very close to my heart, the Magdalen Laundries and Mother and Baby Homes in Ireland. Now, some of you may have already listened to my earlier podcast about the unspoken dead, written and broadcast just before the Irish government laid their bill of redress before the Irish Parliament, the Oroctus. Now, whilst travel and politics is my usual forte, this important area is also about politics, the politics of church and state and about justice, so not too far away from my usual areas of comment. What I'm about to talk about affects so many families across the world, perhaps even your own. So before I start to talk about this, if you have any thoughts or views you would like to share, then please drop them in the comments section or into my Twitter feed at ConsumerFrank. Now many of you will have either seen the musical or watched the film Les Miserables. There is a moving song in the story lamenting the loss of so many friends, and it's called Empty Chairs at Empty Tables. As the singer passes by these empty chairs and tables, he laments with the words that cry out. There's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain goes on and on. On Thursday 27th of October, the Irish Doyle met to discuss the proposed redress bill, which is offered by the Irish government to compensate the thousands who qualify for their experiences in the mother and baby home system. But as you looked around the historic chamber, all you could see were empty chairs and empty tables. It looked as if the majority of elected representatives simply didn't care about this important national human rights issue. But shining through the empty chamber were a small number of dedicated and passionate Irish TDs who sang their own laments about the provisions of the proposed bill. Such areas of concern included exclusion, prejudice, vaccine trials, the sale of bodies to medical institutions, cruelty, illegal adoptions, illegal or inappropriate burials, the failure of human rights, that the scheme was limited, that the scheme was about costs and not human rights. There were pleas for the Minister to change direction, to correct his proposed bill against this not insubstantial analysis of failure from the TDs who spoke in the chamber. The Minister observed that no amount of money could compensate the survivors and that he had listened to survivors' concerns and that redress meant different things to different people. He claimed that such things would never happen again. The bill was then moved on to the committee stage where attempts will be made, very likely by the same group of TDs, to inject amendments to the bill and no doubt they will face procedural objections and a refusal from the government. There's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain goes on and on. In my last podcast, 
I spoke about the exclusion of so many from this proposed redress scheme. A scheme that should be designed not just to heal, but to provide a very clear route to justice. But of course the problem is that financial redress for mother and baby home inmates is but one aspect of the Minister's 22 action points list. If you listen carefully to the rhetoric, when criticism arises on one particular point, listeners are directed by the political narrative to one of the other 21 points as a means to demonstrate that a given individual disadvantaged by one area is actually a beneficiary of another action point. The action points are both divisible and indivisible. They present a fluid form of justice for the survivors. In his commentary this week, the minister referred to redress meaning different things to different people, when in fact he should have stated perhaps that justice can take many forms and it is not confined to one single aspect. For example, as he suggested, some simply wanted to have their loved ones exhumed from the grounds of a mother and baby home and to have them buried appropriately. But if we examine the simplicity of this ministerial view, we should ask, in light of the deep concern over the burial act, what about a proper international archaeological investigation? What about a thorough forensic analysis? What about establishing the cause or causes of death? What about a properly constituted and appropriately skill-set criminal investigation? What about a thorough and independent judicial outcomes? Is it the case that memorialisation trumps all? Are we really suggesting as a people that the only recognition we can give to these poor souls is a name and a plaque? Surely the first step of any form of redress or transitional justice is for a country not to just vaguely know their names, but to know of the deceased individual lives and their life experiences. Understandably, the debate in the Doyle was centred around the needs of the living, but as we can see from the debate, even those needs have not been catered for, nor it appears will they. But here we are again, talking about the unspoken dead, the very people from which any redress or justice scheme should be designed around. Instead, we have a redress scheme that has been designed around money, and what has gone on before in other schemes. This brings me back to the mother and baby home state apology and the arbitrary date of the 13th of January 2021, the date by which state liability is acknowledged, but those affected by past wrongs and who have died before that date, or their families, are excluded from making any call of the scheme. In my last podcast, I spoke about the many men and women who had died before this arbitrary date. Many had spent time in mother and baby homes, some went on to industrial schools, some to Magdalen laundries. As a case in point, one of those people was my grandmother. 
She spent one year in the Chua mother and baby home after the birth of her son, and for some inexplicable reason, she was then transported down to the infamous High Park Laundry in Dublin until her death 41 years later. Then, as I was to discover, death did not end her humiliation by a state or the church. She was one of 155 women who were exhumed from High Park and subsequently cremated and placed into mass grave in Glasnevin. Some of the women's names are now on headstones. But most are obscured because they are now almost totally hidden from view by vegetation. And remember, her journey started in a mother and baby home. So much for memorialization. My father spent the first five years of his life in the true mother and baby home, subjected to the trauma of separation at day 10 of his life, completed when he was exactly one year and two days old. Like many of the children, he was cold, hungry, spent nights in the company of children, wailing, crying, in fear, suffering with anxiety and illness. He himself went on to suffer health problems, gradually increasing in severity by four and a half years of age. Then he was boarded out. Remember, this started in a mother and baby home. So much for memorialization. I've seen one woman from Besborough lamenting and agonising over the loss of a sibling. That anguish spreads into the knowledge that their sibling died at a very young age. And they have no knowledge of what happened to them in their short life, and importantly, whether the flowers they lay are anywhere near the spot where it's been suggested that they have been buried. They want answers, and not a name on a plaque. And as I understand it, a recent application under the Burials Act for the appointment of a director to begin work on Vespera has apparently been refused by the government. Remember, this started in a mother and baby home. So much for memorialization. Then, through my search for my family, I discovered, quite by coincidence, another little boy called Francis Brehenny, who died in 1947 at one year old in the Chua mother and baby home. Now, it's unlikely that he's related, but I can't get him out of my mind, because for all intents and purposes, he's alone, and albeit in any memorialization, the only knowledge of a young Francis Brehenny will be found on a plaque. We will know nothing of his life, his suffering, if people are accountable for his care or lack of care, nor perhaps his family. He will be invisible. Remember, this started in a mother and baby home. So much for memorialization. And that's the point, surely. The arbitrary date makes them all 
and I could recount many other stories, completely invisible, invisible to politicians, invisible to citizens, invisible to human rights, invisible to the world. There's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain goes on and on. In my last podcast, I made a modest intervention as to how to resolve the issue of the unspoken dead. A number that must exist in their thousands. They're not just a few lines in an apology. They are the conscience of Ireland. And, as the Irish are renowned for their respect for the dead, that respect should have been the underpinning principle in the design of any redress or transitional justice scheme. If the stories of the dead are heard, if the crimes against them are recognised, investigated and prosecuted, if they receive an in-memoriam payment paid to a charity by the surviving family, as I suggested in my last podcast, then they are known. Then people like my dad and grandmother, and of course young Francis Brehney, will not be forgotten. Once those principles are established, then the issue of cost and calculation remain in the shadows whilst the true needs of all survivors, no matter their age, race or what happens to them on this journey, would be properly assessed, and their equality and their human rights become indivisible from each other and the general principles of a progressive state. It would change the actions of that state and a country's transition from a supplicant republic to a true secular republic. A secular republic would find the means, and more importantly, the courage to confront the wrongdoings of the power brokers of the past. The Catholic Church would have to face the new reality of transitional justice and the embrace of human rights. The Republic and its victims and its citizens would feel the winds of liberation. But instead, the chamber of the Doyle was empty, except for a few honourable souls. But look closer, Minister. Like in the churches around Ireland, sat in every empty seat in the Doyle, on the steps of every gangway, on the rich blue carpets, are the souls of the pre-13th of January 2021 dead. Can you see the face of Francis Brahney, or the other children, or the men and women who suffered so much in a cruel state and religious system? They sit in silence, eagerly waiting for their justice and the justice of the many who survived. They are the faces that will continue to haunt the mother and baby homes, the industrial schools, the Magdalen laundries, the boarded ad system, the illegal adoptions, the trafficking, the sales of bodies for medical research, the vaccine trials, the abuse, the racial prejudice, and the piety that underpins this rotten system. Even now, it's still not too late to stop and reflect. The minister has said that he has listened. If that is the case, 
and I refer him to one such source, the Oak Consultancy Report. Upon reading this report, it can be seen that the survivor community have essentially spoken with one voice. Many believe that there are many potential problems associated with the construction of any redress scheme, but the clue to the roadmap is found in one repeated phrase, interim payment. For many, such a payment reflected an immediate need. Some expressed this to rest at between 15 to 25,000 euros. And they believe that this should be given whilst time is then taken to create a system that is scrupulously fair to all. You can see this thread of opinion gained from submissions and interviews carried out by the consultancy. The minister should look in particular at pages 10, 35, 36, 72, 75, 77, 113, 115, 133, 135. On page 113 of the report, the opinions of the True Mother and Baby Home Alliance spoke for many when they stated, many felt that they do not have time to wait and feel that an interim payment should be made prior to the finalisation of the scheme. With regards to those who had died, there was some commentary within the report which held the view that those who had died should still enable their families or their estates to benefit from any scheme. There was only one comment that referred to an applicant who had died, and you can see how a government has been attracted to that proposition, delivering the 13th of January 2021 cut-off date. But one comment on page 126 reveals the depth of harm to an extended family stemming from the deceased's experience. This group stated, It was stated by the survivors that those who are deceased should be included in the restorative recognition scheme so that their families receive compensation. They state that this reparation is needed because the damage done to survivors resulting in them having difficulties in managing their relationships with and bonding with their own children. The children of the Scara minister would recognise that pain. So I say to the Minister, who incidentally I also believe to be one of those honourable members in the Chamber, please recognise and include all the dead and their families. Get immediate interim financial aid out to those who are in need and pause and reflect and design a transitional justice system fit for the Republic. As he looks around the chamber, he knows that the state has the power to make the souls of the past smile in approval. The government should remember that. There's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain goes on and on. The question is, does the Irish government recognise the potential in creating a republic that gives justice to all?
including its dead. Thank you for listening. Until the next time, take care.